If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. Twenty twenty two is the History Extra podcast's fifteenth birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. In today's episode, Professor Margaret Macmillan nominates Babur the 15th century founder of the Mughal Empire. Speaking with Matt Elton, she charts his successes and reveals how his diaries offer an unparalleled insight into leadership in the era. So, Margaret, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Can you just tell us who we're going to be talking about today? Well, the person I chose to talk about is someone called Babur, who was the descendant both of Genghis Khan and and Tamburlaine, so very interesting ancestry, came from a small kingdom in the Fergana Valley in the center of Asia and founded the Mughal dynasty in India. And so he was, and I think remains, a very interesting person indeed. And what's so interesting about him, among other things, is that he kept a diary. Which is extraordinary. And can you just sort of outline for us the key moments in his life, and I suppose the ones that we know most about from from his diary? Well, he was born in 1483 into a family which had a small kingdom. And when he was 12, his father, and he records this in his his memoirs, um, he said, my father was very large and we lived in a castle and the castle had a dovecot on one side and my father used to go and feed his doves and his pigeons, I guess. And one day, because my father was very large, the whole structure broke away from the wall of the castle and he tumbled down into the ravine and, and more or less that was that. And so when he was 12, Babur became the king of this little kingdom, and immediately his loving uncles tried to take it away from him. And so he started out with, I suppose, a a sort of kingdom, but immediately had to fight for it and spent a great deal of his early part of his life fighting and eventually turned out to be a very good soldier. But while he was doing this, he, he he was literate, which was unlike a lot of the rulers at that point, and he kept this extraordinary record of his life. And um, what what steps had to be put in place for him to be able to found this empire, this extraordinary great kind of dynasty, I suppose? 
Well, a great many steps. I mean, literally steps. He wandered all over the center of Asia. He kept on trying to move north into Samarkand, which was where some of his ancestors had come from, hoping to, to set up a kingdom there and kept on being disappointed. And at one point he says, and, and this is what makes him so interesting. I mean, there are moments, of course, he was very different from us and very different from people in the 21st century. But there are moments when he speaks in this voice and you suddenly think, I understand what he's talking about. And he said, you know, I got so fed up wandering around. You know, I, I was hunted from here and there. I had a small band of a faithful soldiers with me and I thought I'm never going to get my own kingdom. At one point, I just said, I'll give it all up and I'll go to China and just live there. And so you can almost hear this young man saying, you know, life is so unfair and I'm not getting anywhere. And eventually what he did was give up on trying to reestablish himself in Central Asia and he began to move south. And he moved south into Afghanistan. He took Kabul. He eventually took Kandahar. And from there, because now he did actually have a kingdom of a substantial size, he began to look eastwards into India, into Hindustan, and I think came to the conclusion that here was the possibility for further conquests. And so he began in the 1520s to move down into India. And because by this point he'd become a very experienced general and had a very strong and effective armed forces, he was able to make one conquest after another. Was it primarily his skill as a uh, a fighter, as a warrior, that allowed him to be so successful? Or were there other qualities about him that you also admire? Yes, I don't want to idealise him, but he was a very great fighter. He obviously had a capacity for keeping people with him and for fighting. But he was also, I think, quite something of a diplomat. And it seems as though he could learn from his mistakes. Because again, in, in this extraordinary record he leaves of his life, the, the Babonama, he says, you know, I did make mistakes. And sometimes it's a mistake, for example, to treat the defeated badly because they will turn on you. And when they get the chance, they'll treat you and your soldiers very badly. So it seems to me he had a capacity to learn. And he had a capacity also, something of a diplomat. He, he won over allies. I mean, he often didn't fight on his own. He often fought with others. And so I think he was more than just a very effective soldier. So are there any examples of his statescraft that we should particularly focus on or any sort of incidents that you think are particularly telling about his life? Well, he would go in, he would often form alliances with people, and then when he no longer needed them, he would dispose of them. I mean, look, he was, he was not always a kind and gentle person, although he had that side. I mean, he loved flowers, and he loved looking at nature, but he was pretty ruthless. Uh, you know, he knew what he wanted, he wanted his own kingdom, and although he would make alliances, when they no, no longer proved useful to, to him, they, he would abandon them. And did he surround himself with people who helped him be so successful, or was it really his own qualities that we should be focusing on? No, he seems to have had companions and seems to have had people he listened to. And he often talks about evenings he spends sitting and drinking with them. I mean, he was a Muslim, but he loved drinking. And he often talks about the drinking parties. And he seems to have encouraged, again, of course, we're relying a bit on his own memoirs, but he seems to have encouraged people to talk to him freely and to criticize him. And so he did have those he worked with. He also had a son he was devoted to, a couple of sons, but the one he, I think, cared most about was his son, Humayun, who became emperor after Babur had died. And he sends him lots of advice um, and does also seem to listen to him from time to time. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. I cannot think of another powerful ruler, another emperor, another monarch until the present day who wrote a diary. I mean, a lot of them couldn't write at all. And the idea that you get an intimate look at this, this person, that he talks about how he's upset, how he's disappointed, what he feels about things, it, I can't think of any other record like that.
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, did, did his sort of upbringing, do you think that impacted on how he later approached having power and his sons, I suppose? I think he felt that if you're going to have power, you need to have a good army. He understood the importance of military force. I mean, the reason he ended up becoming founder of the Mughal dynasty in India, that he conquered the north of India, was because he won victories. And so he understood the importance of military power. But I think he also understood the importance of knowing what it is you're ruling. And so he was very interested in any territory that he had. And he he made notes. He made notes about the people. He made notes about the prosperity or lack of prosperity. He made notes about the flora and fauna. And so I think he was very curious, but I think he also, again, I, you know, we, we don't know everything about it, but I think he also saw it as the way of being a good ruler, that you should know what it is you're ruling over. And for people who might not know, the Mughal Empire we've been talking about, um, what was it, it, its extent and at what point did it reach its zenith, I suppose? It reached its zenith under some of his descendants. It came to cover the whole of the north of India pretty well and, and down into central India. It never completely conquered the whole of the subcontinent, but it was the biggest empire um, that was to be known there, I think, n- until the British took over. And so it was very extensive indeed. And it reached very great heights. I mean, the, the, the wonderful palaces you can see at p- places like Agra were Mughal palaces. And the arts and, and culture of the Mughals was, was something extraordinary. And so he did help to found a dynasty that has had profound impact in India, which lasted, of course, until the uh, Indian first Indian War of Independence, or what people used to call the Indian Mutiny in the middle of the 19th century. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. Do you think that despite his skills as a warrior, that we can trace the empire's longevity back to his skills at peace, I suppose? It's hard to say. I mean, he had some very great descendants. I mean, he had wonderful emperors and descendants in the form of Akbar, for example. And what does seem to have been true of, of the Mughals, most of them, I mean, I won't generalise about them all, but including Babur, is that although they were Muslims, they had a tolerance for different branches of Islam. I mean, Babur was brought up, I think, Sunni, but also was interested in Shiism. He was he was interested in uh, Mr. Sufi mysticism. And of course, you, you got it with some of his, his descendants as well, that they were interested in other religions, that they were not um, deeply intolerant. And in ruling over a multi-ethnic, multi-religious empire, this, I think, was a great asset. Um, returning to the idea of his diaries. Was it that that first led you to become interested in in his story? I think so. I mean, I've always been interested in India, and I've always been interested in the Mughal dynasty, because if you go to India, of course, you see many of, of the glories of that dynasty. I mean, there are many glories in Indian history, but the Mughals have added to that. But it was when I discovered his diaries. I mean, I, I cannot think of another powerful ruler, another emperor, another monarch, until the present day, who wrote a diary. I mean, a lot of them couldn't write at all. And the idea that you get an intimate look at this this person, that he talks about how he's upset, how he's disappointed, what he feels about things, 
it, I can't think of any other record like that. Um, you know, Peter the Great didn't keep a record of his own thinking. Henry VIII didn't keep a record of his own thinking. And so it's this view into this person. And I think we have to be careful not to assume he's just like us. Although there are these moments, you know, there's a moment when he sounds like sort of any foolish young person. And he, he writes about going to a drinking party and he says, you know, I drank so much. And then I got on my horse and I galloped back along the riverbank. They tell me it's amazing I got home all right. You know, and that could sound like someone out on a spree in the 21st century. You know, there's that sort of boastful side. And, you know, when he gets depressed and when he says, I just felt like giving it all up and going to China. Or when he's looking at something that really catches his attention, you know, you, you get a sense of this human being. And as I say, he's not like us, but in some ways you, you get a sense that, yes, he is like us. I mean, he, he, he expresses his emotions perhaps in different ways and he does different things. And he's in many ways, you know, a very ferocious fighter, but he also has these intense moments and it's extraordinary to get this voice. I mean, I can't, as I say, I can't think of any other record like this of, of what a ruler thought and felt. And it sounds as if we really do get a, a sense of his distinctive voice as well, him as a person. It does sound like him. And, and as far as we know, he wrote it himself. And as I say, it was unusual that he was literate because in those days it wasn't necessarily a part of the job description for a ruler to be able to read and write, especially, I think, in, in Central Asia. But he came out of a very cultivated tradition. His second language was Persian. Um, he was very familiar with Persian poetry. He loved poetry. He, I think he wrote some poetry of his own. He had a tremendous appreciation for gardens. You know, when he took, when he took Herat, for example, um, in, in Afghanistan, he talks about its gardens and how beautiful they are. Um, at the same time, of course, he says, you know, and then I decided to cut off a few heads because people had been disloyal to me. I mean, you, you have to remember always that he's, you know, in some ways very, you, you think of him almost as a contemporary and then suddenly he says something and you think, no, um, he's not. And what do we know about the later years of his life and his death, if anything? Well, we know that he worried about his son, um, Hermione. He worried that Hermione wasn't taking the job seriously enough. And he sends these rather touching letters actually to him saying, you know, you should write back to your father. I want to know what you're doing. And he gives him advice. And he said, you know, he said, I know it's a bit of a bore for you to write letters, but I do want to hear from you. And I do want to know what you're doing. And he sends some advice, you know, be careful who you trust. Do not surround yourself with people who only say things that you want to hear. And I think you get a sense that he's perhaps a bit worried that Hermione is not really up to the job, that, that perhaps he's, he's not really taking the job seriously enough. And I think he did worry um, as often people in, in very powerful positions do, about his legacy. And he does talk somewhere, he says something about, you know, we can do what we want, but in the end, it's how our name lives on after us that matters. And so I think he does worry about his legacy. He didn't much like India. I mean, he conquered a great swath of India, and he, but he didn't much like it. He found it too hot. He found the plains too dry, too dusty. He kept on longing to get back to Afghanistan, to, to the mountain air and to the gardens that he loved there. And so I think you get a feeling that he, he got what he wanted. He founded a very big empire, but it wasn't perhaps the place he was happiest. I'm interested in the idea of his legacy because I know that in some nations in Asia, he's a national hero. Do you think that he's perhaps not as well known outside of Asia as he might be or should be? I think he's not as well known as he should be. Um, that's partly because I think for a long time his memoirs, were, which, which were translated into English, I think first, I may be wrong, but they were certainly translated at the end of the 19th century by Annette Beveridge, who was the mother of William Beveridge, um, in many ways the father of the welfare state in the UK. And they were out of print, I think, for quite a while. And so only specialists read them. 
and there's been a new translation and there's been new interest in him. And I think more is now being written about the moguls. So perhaps he should be better known. And finally, why do you think he deserves his 15 minutes of fame? He deserves his 15 minutes of fame partly because of what he did, because he made a difference in history. He created the Mughal Empire in India. He has left its mark on India, and India still, even though I think some of the present Modi government would deny it, is still very much influenced by that empire. But I think we should remember him also because he is one of those voices who reached to us from the past and does give us a connection with the past and and is a memorable voice. was Professor Margaret Macmillan speaking to Matt Elton. Margaret is Emeritus Professor of History at the University of Toronto and Emeritus Professor of International History at Oxford University. Her most recent book is War, How Conflict Shaped Us. If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 hyphen minutes. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. 